Thank you for that choir. Good morning, church. It was not my plan to preach to you this morning, but we make our plans and God orders our steps. So it is my privilege and my delight, of course, to bring the word to you. Um, Pray for our pastor. It's spoken of a little bit, but he has spent the uh, past few nights in the hospital just dealing with some discomfort uh, from a previous procedure, but he is on the mend. And um, yesterday sent me his notes for this text. <laughs> so I'm really, <laughs> I'm really grateful. And uh, last night he called me, because you just have to know Neil Helton. Um, he called me to pray with me because you know, I was, you know, I was on his heart. Pam was there, and he just so longs to be here, like. I don't know if you know, but it's a joy and a privilege to serve alongside a pastor who genuinely wants to be with his people as often as he can. Uh, I'm so grateful for him. And uh, it's a perfect Sunday to talk about our sermon, uh, Worship Leads to Missions, which leads to worship, having also in our uh, congregation today our Director of Missions for Northeast Florida, David Drake. So David, it's great to see you, brother. I'm so appreciative of you, and, and uh, for those of you who have asked how our vacation went, I'd like to clarify, we, we brought our children, so it's technically a trip. Uh, vacation is something else entirely. Um, I'm, I'm 100% kidding. Uh, it, was, it was a blessing and rejuvenating, uh, but we missed our church. We missed our church greatly, so I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Psalms. Chapter 67, Psalm chapter 67, we continue a series in the book of Psalms, often known as the song book, chocked full uh, with promises, with prayers, uh, with commands, uh, and today a benediction. Uh, today, uh, in our church service so far, uh, we have read the word, we've experienced the joy and encouragement of fellowship, I know I do, as soon as I walk in the doors here uh, from Bob and from Wayne and from um, Donna and from Elaine. It's just the list goes on and on with people that uh, bring encouragement to my life and, and remind me of the joys that are always supposed to have been a part of Christian fellowship, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So may you feel rejuvenated already. But also in this church, church service, we've sung praises to the King of Kings. We've lifted our voices. We've been heard in the heavens. My question to you today is what are you going to do with that? Do you take that experience? Do you cling to it so tightly that that no one else around you has an opportunity to cling to it as well? Are you excited when you experience it to get it into other people's lives as soon as possible? Is the delight overflowing in your life to such a degree that you're set ablaze on mission, leaving the walls of of this man-made building Are you excited as the church to go out and to share what we experience here with other people? Psalm 67 is a benediction. For those of you who have heard this word but may have never really given it a close look, benedictions often come at the end of something. They often are said or sung at the closing of something. But I want to give you a different perspective on the word benediction before we begin. Psalm 67 is more than just a closing prayer. It's a charge. It's a command. 
All my church days, I remember seeing this benediction at the end of the worship service. A benediction from the Latin words ben and dictus for well saying is a short prayer or a hymn of blessing asking God's favor upon the attendees as they return back to their secular lives. You see, it's a command. It's not an ending. It's a beginning, a charge to Christ followers. In the same way, the worship service is a culmination of what we are supposed to have been experiencing all week long. Not the first time we open our Bibles, but the time we corporately open our Bibles in reflection to what we intend to do with the gospel tomorrow. Both in sanctification and the salvation of other people as we continue to spread the gospel with our lives. See, today my hope is is that you feel rejuvenated. That you leave here feeling reminded of the importance of doctrine and of truth, but that you also feel repentant. That you see more of yourself and in turn see more graciousness and mercy and love overflow from our perspective and our direction and our point and our purpose in Christ Jesus. That is the goal. Jesus is always the goal. You see, the gospel isn't even about salvation. The gospel is about Jesus and salvation is a result of it being all about him. So anytime I'm on vacation or a trip, as we've discussed, there's a part in the conversation where I realize more and more that the church isn't seen in that light anymore. There's a part in the conversation where I get involved with a stranger, and it always, it's like, it never ends. Amy Joe will tell you, he's just about to ask what I do for a living, and then from that point, I'm able to see where the rest of the conversation is going to go based on, like, his reaction. And so he says, so what do you do? What is it that you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor. And he goes, great, where? Amelia Baptist Church? Oh, Baptist. (laughs) And I go, yeah, there's some some good ones. (laughs) See, See, I'm happy. I'm overjoyed to be a Christ follower. I'm happy to be a Baptist. I am. It's confession time. I don't know if you know this, you're in a Baptist church, right? (laughs) The sign's a little confusing, I get it. I'm happy to be a Baptist. But but we need to understand that attached to the word Baptist, there are some serious negative stereotypes. Uh, You see, some of this displayed, I was thinking of country songs, how there's such an evangelical presence and loyalty to country songs. And in certain country songs, there's, on Saturday night, we're partying it up, but we got to be at church on Sunday morning, right? And I'm sitting there going, ha, ha, ha. Like, what a sad state the church is in. That these lyrics are often humorous because there's a grain of truth into them. That the state of the church is in serious danger because we feel like we can live one way and profess a belief in something else entirely. And that's not what the church was designed to be. That's not what worship was designed to be at all. Now, I asked Neil what he wanted to to, to do to introduce this, this passage. And he says, you got to use this illustration. So I said, okay. <laughs> There's a song called Baptist to the Bone. <laughs> There's a reason why I told you this was Neil's idea. <laughs> hey, everyone be on the same page with that before we begin. Sleep deprived. Now, it's a parody of the song, Bad to the Bone, all right, just to warn you. Now, Neil loves this song. If you can imagine him calling me into his office laughing at his desk, all right, this is a verse. 
One of the lines of the song reads, I may be living in the flesh, but you know I'm Baptist to the bone. (laughs) I'm on 25 committees, or is that 26? I even go on Wednesday nights and take a covered dish. (laughs) I may be living in the flesh, but I'm Baptist to the bone. (laughs) He wrote that out with four A's. Now, there's a grain of truth in this humor, but it can lead, if we're thinking about it or pondering about it too much, to a disparaging reality of the church today. Worship is not here so that we can have our ears tickled or be entertained. Worship is not here so we can play a part or feel better about serving the world throughout the week and somehow absolve all of that by gracing the doors of a building. Worship is is for us to draw so close to Him, so close to Christ Jesus, that we long for others to be a part of the same thing. I didn't know what it was at the time, but before my mother dropped me off at school, before she dropped my brother and I off, she would pray something over us. She would say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace or grant you peace. That was the benediction that God provided to Moses in Numbers 6, 24 through 26 for use by Moses' brother Aaron and his sons, those whom God had appointed as Israel's priests. This was to bless the people of Israel. Our passage, Psalm 67, which we'll soon read, is derived from this Aaronic benediction. This ironic blessing is contained in the seven verses of Psalm 67. But here, it's different than number six. It goes beyond the blessing and it tells us a little bit more. We find the purpose of God's blessing to the people. This purpose for all the peoples to know salvation, all the nations to understand Christ Jesus as Lord is what makes Psalm 67 one of the most foundational scriptures in the Bible concerning missions. See, Russ said that we are a Christ-centered, family-equipping church, but one thing Russ always says is that we are also a church with a heart for missions. Why? Because we have a heart for worship. You see, missions is but the means to achieve true worship of the true king. Worship is the goal. Missions is the getting there. If you are able, will you please stand at this time as we read Psalm 67, 1 through 7. Together, church. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce, God. Our God blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. May we always remember the powers in the Word of God. You may be seated, church. Thank you.
First and foremost, to understand, just continue looking down at the chapter as we work through it. God blesses us so that the nations will be blessed. There is a point to the blessing of the church, and it is so that others are blessed. You see, the main point of the psalm is what the psalmist does with all of that truth. He knows that God's will is to be, what? Known, praised, enjoyed, and feared. This is what he wants. He wants to be seen for who he really is, and this is what it will result in. So his response is to pray that God, the psalmist, he prays that God would bless Israel in such a way that God really would be known among the nations. Not altered or redefined by man to make it more palatable, but to be known for who he is exactly, who he said he is and says he is. In other words, the main point of the psalm is this link. If you look down at Psalm 67, right between verses 1 and 2, you'll see that word that connecting the verses. He prays, God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. And you can just say, why there? So that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. God blesses his people for the sake of other nations. God's point throughout history. Who here is familiar with the Abrahamic covenant? This connection between being blessed and being a blessing to the nations means that the psalmist is rooting his prayer in Genesis 12, 2 through 3, which were God's promises to Abraham. This was the foundational truth that God spoke to Abraham when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, his birthplace. God said to him, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. This is God talking to Abraham. And make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Guys, this is exactly what the psalmist says, basically, in Psalm 67, 1 through 2. Only the psalmist does something a little different. He turns that promise into a prayer. Which, you know, that's what we're supposed to do with God's promises. Did you know that? We're supposed to know God's promises well and then pray them back to him. Do you know why we do that? It's not to remind God. He hasn't forgotten what he's promised. It's to remind us. Because oftentimes we forget what God's promised. We forget where he is and what he's doing and what his will is. So may we be reminded to pray back to God what he's promised to us. Because as far as that covenant's concerned, there's only one side breaking it. And it's not him. Says this, God be gracious to us and bless us so that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. And where was this promise fulfilled? Why do we not mourn like those who have no hope? Because the promise was fulfilled in the life, death, and burial of Jesus Christ. Now, that promise, the Abrahamic covenant, you need to know the difference, was decisively fulfilled, is I think a decent word for it, when Christ came, incarnated, right? Death, burial, and resurrection came true. But guess when the ultimate fulfillment of that Abrahamic covenant promise happens? What we are still waiting on, what we are still hoping for, which is his return. We talked about that a bit in Sunday school. We get so caught in like the day-to-day application of the word of God, which is a great thing. We're being sanctified by the truth of the word. We're being refined. But are we living for his return? Are we excited? Are we awaiting That his promise is still to be ultimately fulfilled and that it will be because God's character is. He never lies and he never breaks his promise. 
encourage. I want to be a congregation that is excited and awaiting the return of our Lord Jesus. It's easy to do when you take a look at the news. But why are you doing it? Take a look at the news and maybe be a little bit eager for Christ's return, but I want to see Lord Jesus. I want Him. I don't want to be just safe and just comfortable. I don't want those as idols in my life. I have to daily surrender those. I want Him. I want Him so bad. And that is my heart's prayer for this church as well. You see, the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham was what Christ came to do. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which is the seed of Abraham. And because Jesus and all his saving work is the seed of Abraham, this is the best part. Everyone, including people from the most pagan of nations, who is united to Christ by faith, becomes a son of Abraham and an heir of all his blessings. We should be really grateful for that part. Galatians 3, 13 through 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by what? Becoming a curse for us. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, which is all other nations outside of Israel. Galatians 3, 6, verses 9, verse 29. We don't have time right now to go through all of them, but that's there as well. Listen to the kids' song, man. Father Abraham had many sons. It's annoying, but it's true. (laughs) And what reminds me of that so much is that not only are those promises being fulfilled, but guess what? Jesus was not God's plan B. It wasn't a big oops moment in Genesis 3. It was ignite. Go. This is how it was always supposed to be before the foundations of the world. John 1, 1 through 4. Now, God's plan for Psalm 67 in the 21st century is this. All peoples of the world be blessed. To that end, he chose the people of Israel to bear his revelation and his blessing. So, guys, if we're tied into that Abrahamic covenant, once we meet Christ, aren't we on mission? Once we've been transformed by the Spirit of God, aren't we sent out to bear that special salvific revelation so that all nations can fall on their knees and surrender to the same God that we profess to love? Have we detached the mission from our personal walk with Jesus? The Abrahamic covenant is a great way of thinking about this. The Abrahamic covenant is being fulfilled every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Every time someone recognizes that they are a sinner in need of God's grace, it stands as evidence that we serve a God who always keeps His promises. Who here is thankful that God chased you down? That's been His plan, so what's His purpose? Well, this goes back to why Amelia Baptist has a heart for missions. Write this down. Missions exists right now because worship does not. The reason we have missions is because there are many places without worship of the one true king. His plan, because Jesus paid the penalty of sin, gaining victory over death, we take our blessing of salvation. We don't wrap it up in a bushel. No, 
We let that light shine. We get after it. We take part in the mission. Sorry, having two kids, half the sermon is going to be kids' songs. You're aware of that, right? (laughs) Worship is for the glory of God. And when we submit our lives to it, it will result in our good. We just have to trust that God knows what's best for us more than we know what's best for us. That's what submission looks like. That's what surrendering is, is always supposed to look like. And this leads me to a little bit of an aside. It is vital for the sanctifying growth of the church and the salvific growth of the kingdom that we understand, church, the difference between worship for God and worship for want. Moralistic therapeutic deism, which is the central goal of life, is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And if we are nice enough, God will give us what we want. This false gospel is masqueraded under the name of Christ and peddled from the pulpits to millions of people. This false sense of worship really does nothing but deter us from our original created purpose, while at the same time convincing those who do not know that they know the King of Kings. The difference between worship and want here is this. Want. We are coming to church, singing the songs, flipping the pages, utilizing the church experience as means to an end we've conceived ourselves. It is self-idolatry under the guise of the common Christian. True worship is submitting to God, understanding He is willing and He is able to bless us but that those blessings will be according to his will and not our own. Tegan, my one-year-old, few months, she's at this age where, I mean, she's not talking a lot. She grunts a lot. It's like raising a Geico caveman. We have no idea what's going on. She, she grunts a lot. She'll throw her arms up. That signifies that she wants to be removed from where she currently is standing. This is pretty much all day long. Um, nothing makes me more happy than when my daughter runs up to me with her hands up and goes, ah, you know, it's just this amazing thing. And I go, cause she loves her dad. This is wonderful. Like, thank you. Cause your mom's not been very nice to me today. So this is great. This is great. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. So I pick her up, right? And you get like that little head on the shoulder for like two seconds. And then I realize the little con artist was just looking at what I was eating. Right? Because it's not like two seconds before she's ah, ah, reaching for the food I'm trying to eat or my phone. Like I'm sitting there going, I feel so used. <laughs> in the same way, in the same way, our church, are we lifting our hands in humble adoration so that our wills will be accomplished? So that our expectations will be met? Or are we so captivated by the Spirit of God We not only experience true worship corporately gathered together, but work at an intimate relationship with God throughout all the week. If our desires are met, is God pleased? Now, God isn't like us in the sense He gets His feelings hurt at our bad behavior, but He is a holy God who has commanded all the nations to know Him, praise Him, enjoy Him, and fear Him. Not for what we can get out of it, but because He is the great I am, worthy of our worship. According to Psalm 67, God's purpose is to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared among all the peoples of the earth. 
Missions exists because the knowledge of God, the praise of God, the enjoyment of God, and the fear of God don't exist among the nations. Look down at your Bible starting in verse 2. God wants us to, or wants to be known, praised, enjoyed, and feared among all the nations. Psalm 67 gives us these four things that God wants. God's purpose, first, to be known among all the nations. Verse 2, that your way may be known upon the earth, your saving power among all nations. Salvation cannot occur through general revelation like those beautiful mountains in Carolina, but by only the exclusivity of Christ Jesus as king. Grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone is how people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So much fear perpetuated this past week. Shootings, fires, divisiveness. Everywhere you turn, it's so important that our joy is not based on external circumstances, but that we have the internal, everlasting joy of Jesus Christ that can only happen through salvation and is sharpened as we grow together as a church. So he wants us to know him. That's first. Second, his purpose is to be praised among all the nations. Verse 3, why praised among all the nations? Because he's worthy of praise among all the nations. Because it's in his very character. Innate, he's worthy of it. He draws it out. If we don't do it, rocks are going to start crying out for him. Verse 3, let all the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Have you ever thought of it as a good thing that God is a jealous God? I love the fact that God's a jealous God. Not in my flesh all the time. But when I start thinking about how he loves me and wants what is best for me, and I'll often complain, man, I am on a short leash. I can't go two mile per hour over the speed limit without running by one of you guys on the road. Right? I get a call on my phone. Hey, you want to use your turn signal, Pastor? It's like, all right. But but he knows. God knows. He knows each of us are prone to wander. He knows that in our flesh, we are prone to flee from the things of God. Yet he chases us and he's jealous after us. We want a jealous God. But more than that, we want to be in right relationship with that jealous God. Three, God's purpose is to be enjoyed among all the nations. Verse four, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. If you haven't read John Piper's Let the Nations Be Glad, I very much recommend it. Psalm 37, if we love Christ, guess what? We delight in him. We love Christ. We love the things of Christ. We're not always dragging our feet to be with the body. We're not dragging our feet to study the scriptures or be in fellowship or pray. But we are awaiting to do those things joyfully to share in what we've had in Christ Jesus and what we continue to have. Be on alert, brothers and sisters. If you profess faith in Christ but begrudgingly delight in the things of God, what are you worshiping? God the Father, or the idea of comfort. Enjoy the Lord, because He's commanded you to. Fourth, His purpose is to be feared. Another word here, revered, in reverence of. Among all the nations, verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear Him. But there is more here. 
This is where we'll end. Not only does the psalmist tell us God wants to be known, praised, enjoyed, and feared, the psalmist tells us what he wants to be known as, praised for, what it is about God we can enjoy, and what it is about God that would strike reverent fear in the hearts of his people. What must, in other words, the nations know about the God they need to worship? This is vital for us to understand as we read this chapter. Number one, God is the one and only true and living God. God aims to be known as the one and only true and living God. He is not the God of any other religion. I gather this from the fact that an inspired Israelite poet is praying that his God will be known and praised among all the peoples who worship other gods. You remember our response of reading how those gods are with a small g and considered to be worthless idols because that's all anything else is in comparison to how great our god is we serve the one true god isaiah 45 5 through 6 is a great thing to mark there if this is not true guess what missions would be the most audacious and presumptuous enterprise in the world if 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 we don't serve in other words the one true god then calling the nations to know and praise and enjoy and fear him would be mean. It would be mean-spirited. It'd be arrogant to say that we know better than other people know. If it's not true that he's the one and only true God, then it's mean. But if it is true, then missions is a humble, daring, obedient response of a people who love those who are right now perishing without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't know what that's like. We need to understand that we are at a serious advantage. And I want to speak directly to the people who have been under the gospel their entire lives, yet have still not submitted to it. You are in danger of a hardened heart towards the truth of Christ. You must repent. You must turn from your sinful life and face the face of the King of Kings and bow before him, serving alongside the brothers and sisters in this room. That is vital. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't say it. The time is now, not later. One example of this in our world that's often perpetuated, we do not worship the same God as Islam. This is going around. But we do not say that in hatred of those who practice Islam. We say that desiring that they come to know the one true God. That we want them, we want all nations to repent and confess that Christ Jesus is Lord. We must not let our flesh and our mean-spiritedness get in the way of our mission. In a world supercharged with this presence of Islam, it does not help the cause of truth or love to say that we worship the same God. It may seem nice, but you are damning those people. We do not worship the same God. Muslims do not believe in a Jesus who died, who gave his life as a ransom, who rose from the dead, who claimed to be the divine son of God. They don't believe that. The best they give us is a nice teacher. All those things are rejected by Islam. The historical Jesus of the gospel is denied by them. But here's where we need to branch this out. Neither Muslims, nor Jehovah's Witnesses, nor Mormons, nor anyone else in any religion, including Christianity, truly worships God if they reject Jesus as he really is in the gospels. Why? 
Because there can be no authentic worship apart from the living, breathing Christ. Only kind gestures that will only get you as far as the grave. Psalm 67 is praying that all religions of the world, including Islam, which came to be 1,600 years after this psalm was written, would turn no praise and joy and fear the only one and true God. So not only is he the one and true living God, but God is just. He wants the nations to know that he is a God of justice. No bribes will be considered, no sophisticated plea bargaining. All will proceed on the basis of God's unimpeachable righteousness. Standard that has been met in Christ Jesus. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. We need not add anything else to the salvific work. We need to faith, put faith and believe and return and repent away from our sin. And we can place our faith in Jesus Christ and be added into that Abrahamic covenant. God is one, God is just, but guess what? We serve a powerful God. Psalm 67, 4. I often laugh when a nation refers to themselves as a sovereign nation. Because when they refer to themselves as a sovereign nation, the Lord laughs. Because he made the nations. Do you know that the Lord determines their allotted periods of time and the boundaries of their habitation? All of that is under his control, not man's. Where do I get this? Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Daniel 4.35. Daniel 2.21. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? If there is anything out of our God's control, then guess what, guys? Our God ceases to be. He is sovereign over everything. And for that, I promise you, we should be thankful. Because I've tried running my own life. I'd much rather God be in control. Finally, one of my favorites, God is gracious. He's gracious. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. This is why the news that resounds throughout the world from the cross of Jesus is called the gospel because it is the good news. For news to be good, it has to invade dark places. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, Titus 2.11. You see, the heart of the missionary message to the nations is this, church. God will save you from your sin and guilt and condemnation by grace through faith in His Son, Jesus. You see, we go with a message of grace, not a message of condemnation. We bring good news. That He didn't leave us to stew in our sin. He came. He conquered. People have hope now. People have eternal life now. But we are blessed to be a blessing. If you look down at Psalm 67, 6 through 7, what we have not noticed is that when the connection is repeated at the end of this psalm, is that it is harvest time and the blessing on the people of God is mainly a material blessing. Did you notice that? This is the sharpest point of the psalm. We are blessed, church, so that we can be a blessing to other people. The Lord has something more specifically to say to you, especially to the American church and the church of the West. Are we placing idols before our mission? You see, we have been told to engage with the culture, but many of us look like we are married to it. 
When I say let the nations be glad, I mean let your gladness be doubled in their gladness. Is there joy in your life at the thought of sharing the gospel with someone and it resulting in a life-changing faith? God says, this is why I have blessed you. This is why I have blessed you. Don't turn my blessing into a curse. Don't put it in a bag with holes in it. I have blessed you. This is why you are rich, so that you may share this blessing with all the nations. Many of you know we have a missions committee, which is one of the 26 we have. (laughs) One thing we were able to do uh, last year was for a couple by the name of Jared and Whitney Lamar. Uh, By the grace of God, by the mercy of our Lord Jesus, the missions committee banded together, decided that we would request from Kingdom Works uh, $10,000 to go to Jared and Whitney because Jared and Whitney, through the International Mission Board, had decided to set up camp in Oman, United Arab Emirates. Uh, Jared was going to start a CrossFit and use that as an outreach for the community. and He's been doing incredibly well. Uh, Jared and I both do CrossFit. The difference is it looks like Jared does CrossFit. Um, (laughs) So part of that, in that mission, we get reports because we have become involved in that process. So we get reports. And there's like time throughout the week where I wish worship service, we just read all the awesome mission reports we get and share that with a giving church. It's such an exciting time as elders to be able to see what God's doing throughout the kingdom because of what we do here. There's one thing I wanted to share with you. Shared with a friend of mine, this is Jared speaking, shared with a friend of mine, his name is Frank, shared with him at the gym a couple days ago. He had heard the gospel for the first time. He had some questions, and I think it gave him some good challenges. I'm asking that churches will pray for his heart. He is young and cares most about having fun in life. But please, ask the Father to make spiritual things real to him. Please. Thank you, brothers and sisters. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for Frank. Because we're under the same God. The one true God. Who is powerful enough to hear the praises of a few hundred people today. And answer them by saving this man in the middle of the United Arab Emirates. As we pray, I want you to be thinking about what it means to let the nations be glad. Bigger building, let the nations be glad. The Ness Women's Resource Center, let the nations be glad. Emmanuel Church in New Orleans, Christian Bible Church in New York, Christian Light School in Haiti, let the nations be glad. May we never forget why we gather today. Let's pray. Father God, we ask for you right now, Lord, in your sovereign grace and mercy, heal this man, Frank. Make yourself known to him. May he open his eyes and see the Savior, Jesus Christ. Father God, we also ask that you would save souls in this very room right now. That they would submit to you. That they would be excited to profess that they now know you. That they understand that Jesus Christ came. That he said who he he, he is who he said he is. He's the living God. He is now the reason why we can have right relationship with God the Father. Father, I I pray and I ask that if there are people here that have been blinded to the gospel, that you penetrate their hearts with the truth. And for those of us who know the truth, may you give us the courage needed to bring the gospel to everyone we see. May no one be safe in 10, 20, 30 mile radius of our house. Father God, may we be 
fully aware of the mission at hand and not distracted by the idols and the shiny things of this world, but pursue you with everything we have hand in hand with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Not just in this church, but churches banded together for the cause of Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we are going